Hello and welcome to another fun edition of Angie and Friends on a Podcast. Nicole is not here today and she's going to really be sad that she missed this one because I have a fun guest with me today. I don't know if you want to say fun. Are you fun, Michaela? Are you a fun person? I am a fun person, okay. actually. So yeah. <laughs> and this is going to be more informative. Um, Michaela Clay is my guest today. And here's what's going to be crazy is that I only heard about you through a friend and said, you gotta hear this lady's story. And so I don't want to give out any information. I want you to talk about who you are and introduce yourself to the audience. Well, my name is Mikaela. I live in Ohio, um, actually not too far probably from a lot of you guys. Um, But uh, what makes my life a little bit unique is how I was born. Um, I am an abortion survivor. And that means that my birth mother had attempted to have an abortion, but I survived. Wow. Um, So I do go and speak to people about my story, um, how it transitioned and how I'm here today. Wow. You know, I actually did know one other abortion survivor. Can I tell you that story really quickly? Because Absolutely. this is this is a crazy story because um, I moved uh, I moved into a house at one point and this lady moved in next door and I was praying for a friend. What I didn't realize was how much of a friend she would turn out to be. But her daughter was an abortion survivor that uh, she had she had a lot of learning disabilities because she went under saline abortion twice. Yep. And the first time they aborted her sister and the second time she survived that abortion. And so they called her a teacup baby because she could fit into a teacup. And my friend Jody adopted her and the state paid for everything because they said this child will never have any life at all because she can't even eat. Well, Jody didn't believe that. She knew that God had a better purpose. But she went into the hospital and she asked if she could see her. And they said yes. And she saw that there was a baby bottle in the baby crib next to her (laughs) so she gave her the bottle and when she started suckling she said yep that's my baby (laughs) that she's more than what they say that child was a miracle and I I think that's probably your story as well so can you can we hear about it can you tell us the story yeah, absolutely. So um, I actually grew up knowing that I was also adopted. Um, I was adopted uh, when I was older. I was adopted with my brother. Um, he was a year and a half older than me. So we spent a lot of time in foster care. We were actually in 36 homes by the time uh, we were going into school. Oh, my gosh. Um, it was quite some time. Um, and it was because we were unadoptable. We didn't have anybody to sign our rights. Um, so the state didn't take over rights at the time like they do now. Oh, wow. Um just kind of stuck there, right? Going in a loop. Um, But I do know that the parents who adopted me were the ones that were supposed to. Yeah. Um, I, you know, God is God, right? Yes, yes. (laughs) And everything that we went through, it was so that we could end up with a family that we ended up for sure. Um, So um, as I started getting older, we started noticing that I had more and more health issues, different things like that. Um, I had heard from the doctors, you know, traumatic birth. Um, as a possibility for like my lungs and, and stuff. And it never really occurred to me what that meant. Um, as I got older, I had a son and then I had my daughter and my questions were always, you know, well, are they going to end up with the issues that I have? What's going to happen to them? My brother had children. Are my nieces and nephews going to have these issues? So I started calling the state 
And I was asking them, like, can you guys please release my birth information? I really need to know um, my medical history because I'm terrified that my kids are going to end up with the things that I have. Uh, It was in my best interest. The judge said, no, I was just blocked and blocked and blocked. Um, So finally, one year I had called because I usually called around my birthday. And a woman answered the phone and she said, I had been praying that if you called, I was going to give you some information, but I can't talk to you while I'm at work. I have to talk to you off the record. Wow. And I'm all right. So she calls me when she gets off of work and she said, your kids aren't going to have any of the issues that you have. And I was like, well, how do you know that? And that's when she started to tell me my story. Um, She had let me know that my birth mother had went to an abortion clinic that was on a migrant farm. And uh, so basically like a makeshift clinic, they didn't know how far along she was probably. They didn't do ultrasound back then. They didn't even have ultrasounds back then. Dated myself just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And uh, so she didn't know how far along she was more than likely. She uh, attempted to do a vacuum aspiration and out came an entire baby. They said that my birth mother panicked leaving my brother at the abortion clinic and myself. Um, She took off, never saw her again. Uh, It seems that the abortion clinic workers tried to keep me um, maybe in fear of being in trouble, uh, trying to make sure that I lived or didn't, not really completely positive, but what ended up happening in the interim is they did finally bring me to a hospital. They dropped off myself and my brother. Um, so because of that, I don't have a date of birth. I don't know when I was born, any identifying information or where I was born. They were able to obtain from them that they had crossed state lines. So they were not from the state that they dropped me off at. Um, and because my lungs were so severely underdeveloped, uh, and I was not put into the proper care, um, they never developed fully. Um, so kind of that outer layer of my lungs, but they estimated that I was born at the end of the second trimester, early third trimester. Um, So even back then, that was pretty amazing for them. But just based on my development, that's where they kind of thought that I was at. Um, So you flash forward about four or five years after I was born. And it seems that my birth mother um, did go to the state asking whatever happened to my brother and uh, she was trying to get some information, you know, was he adopted, whatever happened with him, you know, I had left him years ago, and they were able to decipher that it was my brother, Um, they were able to get her to sign over her rights for him, and she left his birth certificate, so he was able to get his information. Um, When they started asking her about me, she didn't know I had survived. She had no idea that she had a daughter, Um, and and I believe in a situation where they could have shown her a little bit of grace and a little bit of dignity, a little bit of love. They didn't do so. They probably started questioning her maybe in a negative way. And, um, she did sign for me to be adopted, but then she went to the bathroom, excused herself to go to the bathroom and never came back. Um, so They could have gotten my my date of birth. They could have gotten my information. They could have gotten a lot of other things from her. But I do believe that um, they didn't show her probably the grace that she needed at that moment that we would all need in in a hard moment. And um, she never came back. Um, So 
that is how I was born. That is my story. And you never found her information or anything like that? They wouldn't release that? So um, when my parents who adopted me uh, received our, what they called our medical information, which was really nothing, they accidentally gave them my brother's birth certificate. So we've always had her name. We've always had my dad's name. Um, However, my birth father's name was one of those that's kind of like John Smith. And so it was like every name that is out there, there's probably 20,000 of them. So he would have been harder to find um, throughout the years. We had searched for my birth mother again and again and again, but you know, God's timing, right? Yes. Um, so, uh, a couple of years ago, um, in 2020, I started searching again and, uh, it was November of 2020 and I came across a obituary that I believed to be my grandfather's, but I noticed that she had changed her last name. So I hopped on Facebook. I started searching that first name and last name, and I found her within like two minutes. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I started messaging, and I'm not a particularly patient human being. Um, So I started kind of looking to other people that were on her Facebook page, and I messaged a young woman that was on there, and I was like, hey, I'm looking for so-and-so. Can you give me information? And they were like, well, why are you looking for her? And I was like, this is going to sound crazy to you, and I'm probably giving you too much info, but I don't care. Um, I think she's my birth mother. And I could tell that there was like a a pretty big pause and some probably wondering. And I was like, look, this is all the information I have. And I just laid out the whole entire story. And I was like, if she never wants to talk to me, that's okay. I just want my medical history. I just want to know, you know, when I was born and I have all these questions and she's like, well, she's not going to be able to talk to you. And I was like, well, you know, if she doesn't want to talk to me, that's fine. If she just writes me a letter, she just gives you the information, you know, that's great. And she's like, no, she passed away in March. Oh, so I missed her by five months. She had just passed away. Um, but my silver lining was more of a gold lining. That was my sister. Wow. I was actually messing. Um, and I found out that I had four other siblings. Um, I have two sisters and two brothers. Um, we have done the DNA test and the whole nine. Um, so, uh, they were pretty shocked. Um, they had no idea that my brother and I were out there. Um, they were actually told that we had passed away in a car accident um, years ago uh, with my father. Um, so they were and still probably are in a state of, I can't believe this has happened. Yeah. And they and mom's gone and there's no confronting her on the lie that they've grown <laughs> up with, you know, and that's Wow. There's just so many questions, <laughs> so many questions, you know, it, so I, I would assume that by now you kind of have a target of when your birthday is or not, or did you just pick one? No. So the state of, uh, the state that I was adopted in was actually the one who picked my birthday and no one's ever been able to tell me why they chose it. Um, so we don't really know. So basically what happened was, um, we don't know how long I was with the migrant workers, right? We don't know when they brought me across the state lines because what happened was when they brought me across the state lines, they brought us to a hospital. That hospital then transferred us to another hospital. And in the interim, they didn't keep a record. Mm. So they never got the record from the original hospital. So we don't know when I even went into care there. We just know when I went into care at the other hospital and how long they had me. 
Um, so there's no way for us to even really kind of pinpoint, like, was it six months? Was it seven? Was it two? Was it one? Nobody knows. So how old is your brother? Is he much older than you? He's by my um, birthday that they gave me. He's a year and a half older than me. Okay. He was two. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, wow, your mom must have been in such a state to be making these decisions. And then, and then not knowing how to deal with that for the rest of her life. That's kind of a sad story right there in that part. Definitely a sad story. I think that, you know, people ask me all the time, like, were you really mad? Like, were you angry when you found out? And I tell them, you know, my very first thought was relief because, I knew that my children weren't going to have my issues. I knew my nieces and nephews weren't going to have my issues. And then it moved to this kind of like grief for her mm. and this heart for her that went, wow, what must you have been going through to make the choice, A, to end your child's life and B, to be so scared and so in a place of, of, just being frightened and confused that you left your child, your two-year-old baby in this clinic and never turned back. What could you have been going through in your life that was that harsh and that horrible? What lack of support did you have that led you to all of those decisions? And it really did make me feel this hard for her that I don't think a lot of other people maybe would understand. Um, but when I was seeking her and when I was searching for her, the biggest thing that I wanted to say to her was that I forgave her. Yeah. It was so important to me to be able to say that to her. And it was really difficult to know that that wasn't what God wanted for me. Wow. But you forgave. So you don't carry I, it. It's a power of forgiveness, right? Right. I think there would have been for me, maybe, I don't know, because I didn't get to do it. But I feel like there would have been some kind of healing and being able to say those words to her, maybe even for both of us. And maybe even just for me, it was something that I felt like I needed to hear and needed to say my own mouth say. But instead, God gave me a story to be able to tell to other women who have had an abortion that they are forgiven. And I can say that because I was their baby. Yeah. So let me ask you about your parents that adopted you. Apparently they taught you about the Lord. Yeah. Um, I, I knew who God was before I knew who God was. Um, so I remember going to church for the first time and seeing Jesus and telling my mother that I knew who he was because he was with us, but that's not what he looked like. I was like, that man protected us. I was a child. I didn't know who he was or what that meant. Um, but I, I very definitively had told my mother that I knew who he was and that that's not what he really looked like, but he had protected us. So I always knew who God was. Um, I never had one of those like moments where I was like, I've been saved because I just, always knew that he was there. Um, but I was raised Catholic. Um, my mom and dad, um, did an amazing job keeping us in church and I was in the youth ministry and, um, I still do stations of the cross every year at our church. And, um, you know, God, um, was always important to me, always will be important to me. Um, because I know that without him, I wouldn't be here. Oh, it reminds me of that scripture about, 
you know, Jesus is always talking about how blessed the little children are and and how they're they're angels. I just read that scripture this morning about how little children have angels or the lost have angels. It's translated both ways. But I just read that scripture this morning and I'm trying to think of where it was because it hit me and I went, wow, angels. Like it's the first time I really saw angels connected to the lost or to children, whichever way it's translated in the Bible. But anyway, I I love I, I love this story in that um, many people are suffering from a lack of identity and you lived this lack of identity. And at some point you had to learn your identity in God as we all strive to, but we all have like parents and you know, that kind of thing, but you had to literally go a different route to get to the same place. And what was that like for you learning identity and having that lack of identity at first? So I will tell you that, um, again, I was so blessed with the people that I grew up with. Um, I have an amazing deacon. And when I was younger, um, I struggled a lot. One of the bigger things that a lot of people don't, don't realize is a, when people say that they hate their birthdays, that's such a slap in the face to somebody who didn't know their birthday. Right. Um, and I hear that a lot. And then B sitting in a room with families who all look alike, talk alike, laugh alike, And they just have these traits that are so remarkably them. And I didn't have those things. And it used to really depress me to be in a position where I would sit in these rooms and I would see these people and I'd go, man, like, I don't know what that's like to have that kind of connection. Cause like even my brother, um, though we were raised together, we really don't look that much alike. Um, he looks very Mexican compared to me. He's a lot darker, um, And for some reason, I got the white girl skin with the freckles. Um, So the deacon had sat me down and said, you know, you don't have to look any further than who God is to know who your father is. Because your father's royalty, that makes you a princess. And you are the daughter of a king. But you have to start acting like the daughter of a king. Don't let everybody else in this world drag you down to their level when you know who your father is. And that moment in my life changed it in a way that I never thought was imaginable. I might've been nine or 10 when he said this to me, but I remember walking out the door thinking he's right. Like, check me out. I'm a princess. Like I might take it too far. Sometimes my friends, will tell me. <laughs> but um, I do love the fact that I know that my father is a king. And that I didn't have to look any further than who he is to see that identity out there and to see a reflection of who I am. Yeah. And like I said, it takes us a long time to get to that place. It is a powerful thing when you know your identity in God, as you, you know, as you just said, it's just so incredible that you had somebody to speak that truth into your life at such a young age. Because I think it's harder as we go, as we get older and we get a little more cynical, it's a little harder to to understand it and believe it. The other thing is that I think a lot of people get so caught up in who they think that they were supposed to be. Um, they have a misguided route of where they need to be, who they need to be and how they need to get there. And when you do it just through God solely, all that other stuff kind of melts away because you start listening to what God wants for you and not what you want for you. Yes, yes. You know that hymn that's turn your eyes upon Jesus? 
look yes. full in his wonderful face, and the things of life will grow strangely dim. I, I know this because yep. I just sang this yesterday. And what a powerful message that when we keep our eyes on him, the rest of it just ends up fading away. It doesn't even matter. Correct. Let me ask you about, obviously, God had a plan for you that took shape completely different <laughs> than others, right? I'm, I'm sure you're not the only person in the world who's had a similar story, but I believe that you have a an absolute path that's uniquely yours. I mean, we all do a uniquely yours. So what would you say to the person who is kind of out there saying, what am I supposed to do with my life? I know I love that you knew Jesus from a young child because he made himself so known to you even in the womb and that he was with you the whole time. And and I think people struggle all the time with knowing what am I supposed to be doing with my life? So for me, I would tell them very easily, you know, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not someone who follows God, there's not a person in the world who hasn't felt that tug in their stomach where you know something's not right or that butterfly where you just feel like something amazing is getting ready to happen. Those are both the voice of God. They just don't know it. Right. Right. But listen to that and you follow that always. You can't go wrong. You just have to learn to listen. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen in a a show like, oh, I had this terrible feeling and then this happened. Voice of God. I was getting ready to start this and I had butterflies and I had cold chills. Voice of God. Those are always the voice of God. And you know that you're going in a wrong direction or a right direction. Um, For believers, we know to pray about it. We know to ask God for those guidance and and for the deliverance of the good, the bad, the ugly, and all those things. But for people who aren't, that don't seek God, that don't want to or think that he doesn't exist, he's still very much there. He's giving you all the signs that you need. Amen. So tell me about now. What is it your heart is in? It says you have a card, abortion survivor, speaker, life and adoption advocate. What message are you just certain that God has you saying to people? So the certain message is life is important from zero to 150. It doesn't matter. Your life is important. So I want everybody to know that protecting life should be just as important. Um, One of the big things that I talk to people about is that if we don't draw a line, a line will never be drawn, right? So if you say to me that the line is at conception, all right, I'm there with you. But then we move that line, right? We moved it to the heartbeat. Okay. But then someone else is going to move that line, right? Right now, Planned Parenthood is trying to put an initiative on the ballot to move the line to nine months, right? So that means me, Mm. full term, uh, partial term, nine months, a baby that could look like your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your cousins can be aborted. Someone that can survive outside the womb without medical help can be aborted. And that's where you sit here and go, okay, so now the line is nine months. If you look further north into Canada, they actually have euthanasia. Um, A lot of people don't realize that. And in that, they are now saying that you can euthanize up to one week if your child 
has any type of medical rarities, uh, genetic chromosomal diseases and disorders. Um, so they've moved it to one week after birth, which means we could easily move it to one week after birth, which also means, okay, I just found out that my child is, at two years old is autistic. I should be able to euthanize, right? If we keep moving the line, a line will never be drawn. If we don't sanctify life at conception, in the womb, there will never be a line. That is not the way that God intended things. Who are you to say that somebody's life has no value or no importance? You aren't somebody who can say that. So the biggest thing that I really stress to everybody that I talk to is that we need to start drawing a line. We need to start paying attention to these laws that they're putting on the books, what they're asking us to do, and what it truly, truly means. This law that they're getting ready to come up with actually strips you of parental rights, and people have no idea that that's what it is. So basically what could happen is a man who is raping your daughter, statutory rape, or a pedophile can come pick your child up from school, take them to abortion clinic, have the abortion performed, return them back to school, and you do not have to be notified. Oh, my gosh. That's what they are going for. And for anybody who thinks that I'm not correct, read it. <laughs> I want you to, please. I'm begging you to read it. That is exactly what can happen. I can't even fathom that because I have seen the ultrasounds of my own children and I saw the ultrasound of my daughter when she was 10 weeks old and she just looked like a little bug, but she was, she had a face and she had a little, little arms, you know, it wasn't fully developed. She was a bug, but it was 10 weeks. There was a heartbeat, you know, and I, and now she is ready to have her first child. And it just blows my mind that people can't look at that and see life is there and how, and how it's so messed up that abortion is okay but if you have a woman killed while she's pregnant, then they, they charge him for two murders. What a double standard. I've, I've talked to, um, it's a double-edged sword because you can't sit here and tell me that life doesn't exist and that life isn't life. But then this man is being charged for two murders. Which one is it? Where are you going to choose? And again, it's not a choice that you should be making because life is still life. Yeah. I'm a thousand percent, though, on the side of saying that if we are going to stop abortion, which is obviously what we want to do, we do need to have the resources out there like Sycamore House in Urbana, like the Pregnancy Resource Center in Springfield, like all these other places, um, uh, Hope Beyond Abortion in Tennessee. We need these places because they are the ones that are still supporting those pregnant mothers. When they say, we don't want you to have abortion, they put their money where their mouth is. They will stand there and they will help support. And we need more organizations or we need to fund those organizations to keep that going. And that's the key is when the, the yeah. law changed the last time, one of the pastors said, what are we going to do? Because now we need to come up with a plan to help support these yeah. mothers. And we can't Absolutely. throw them back to the state because then they get all this other warped stuff. We need to show them a way of, of support and and be able to continue to minister to them in the same right. Yeah, it's incredible. And then the next thing that needs to change is our adoption laws. OK, because look, 
there's so many families out there that are willing to adopt. There's so many children out there in foster care that need to be adopted. Even if you just skip past my story, because a lot of people try and use my story against me and say, well, you were in 36 homes. We were a really special case. That's not something that's really very often heard of. But the other thing that I can say in the caveat to my story is that um, you can choose parents nowadays. You can choose where your baby goes. You can choose a life for them that they could have not had back in the 70s and 80s. And I know this because I myself put my own child up for adoption. I put my daughter up for adoption and I chose to put her in a family that I knew was going to be loving and supportive and there for her. Um, And her and I have a relationship. She came back into my life when she was 15 years old. Um, And I would make the same choice all over again, if I thought that it would put her in a place that was going to be where she needed to be at that time. Um, I was in a marriage that was not right. Um, and it wasn't the place for her. Mm, wow. That's a tough decision. Yeah. yeah. And gosh, it's just, there's so much, <laughs> there's just so much to, to, to take in about this story. But you know, this, this is one of the things that I wanted to be sure this is why I wanted to talk because my whole focus is helping my friends to to meet people like you who are actually doing something in this world to make a change. And so often we're scared to do something because we don't know what to do. And is there is there a way to do that? Can you can you give any advice? Like, how can we help? <laughs> So the first thing that you can do um, is is pick a cause. Like, honestly, there's got to be something that's tugging at your heart, whether it's life, whether it's um, the sex trade and what's happening to our children, adoption, foster care, and then just go and start donating your time. If you can't donate your time, donate your money. If you can't donate your money, pray. The power of prayer is so absolutely amazing and spoken of so many times in the Bible. And people don't realize that it truly, truly is a gift to be able to get down on bended knee, face to the ground and pray to God about the situations that are going on in this world. There's so much that somebody can do at home to just start the start the journey. Um, you don't have to get up on a stage and speak. You don't have to get on radio shows and those types of things. You can literally sit in your room between you and God and say, God, save our children, save our world, save our country, put your heart into the leaders of this nation. Um, So there is a place where they can start. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Now, what about you? Can people have you come and speak to their missions organizations or even their Sanctity of Life Sundays? Yes, absolutely. Um, They can find me on Facebook. I have a speakers page. Um, It's Micaela Clay, spelled M-I-C-A-E-L-L-A. Last name is Clay. And it does say abortion survivor. Um, They can also find me at the Abortion Survivor Network page. Um, So there are more of us tons of us. Um, over 600 abortion survivors are in the Abortion Survivor Network. Uh, we focus on healing. Um, we focus on just getting through those next steps. There's a healing curriculum for an abortion survivor. Uh, we have resources for families of abortion survivors, of women who are planning on possibly getting an abortion. There's so much there that um, we try to help with. Um, but the, we have a speakers page and you can find me on that speakers page as well at uh, abortionsurvivor.org. Um, and uh, 
I will be at the Ohio's Right to Life um, huge, I think this will be our second annual um, March I'm speaking there uh, in October. Um, so we have a lot of things that are coming up down the pike. Um, and I will also be featured on Abby Johnson's Unthinkable. Um, so that will be all about uh, what the abortion industry doesn't want us to know. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That one's, yeah, it's probably a very good, going to be a very good one. <laughs> hey, Michaela, uh, thank you so much for your time today. And what an incredible story. I, I just want to praise God because here you are making a difference in the world. And I just thank you so much for following what God has put you on the path to do. Thank you. Anything else you want to add? No, um, I think we've said everything that we really need to say. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly just want everybody to uh, to hear the story and feel blessed and to know that there is hope beyond abortion. There is hope beyond um, adoption. And there are resources out there to help people. So all you have to do is reach out. Yeah, that's true. And we have a lot of them at our disposal here at the station as well. So I hope people do that as well. Well, Michaela, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed getting to know you. I'm so sorry that Nicole missed this. She would have loved this. No problem. All right. And can I pass your information on to other people? Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be great because I we have a lot of people to to pass it to. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. All right. Thank you again. Rise FM Podcast Network.